0: You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts 4. Uh, this is really the first sermon in a series of messages on missions. We're talking about praying for our missionaries. And so this week I'm going to be speaking about uh, I think this is a very pastoral message to our church family, very pastoral. Next Sunday, our missions pastor is going to be speaking sermon number two. He, he, this is always a Sunday that he gets. We reserve it for him every year in addition to other opportunities, but he will be speaking next week uh, from our missions pastor's heart. The following week will be the actual missions revival speaker, David Allen. And then the final week of October, I'll come up and finish off the series. So I'll be at the, book, the bookend of an incredible month. Of sermons about missions, about about giving, about reaching, about uh, how we can impact the world and fulfill the Great Commission. It's going to be an amazing month. But I I, I ask this morning for your attention as we dive into God's Word. We're going to look at the last paragraph in chapter four of the Book of Acts. Get this. Then we're going to look at the first paragraph in Acts chapter five. Last in four, first in five. There's two words. That we're going to emphasize this morning. The first word is in Acts chapter 4. It's in that last paragraph. And it's the word generosity. It's so loud and clear there in that passage in the early church. And the, the early church was ex- exploding in growth. you got to realize. If you, if you think about right now in this passage. Get this. Don't miss this so you can really live it out with me today. Okay, Inside this passage we see the early church exploding. There was uh, 3,000 people that had been saved. 5,000 that had been saved. They were living in community. They they were, uh, Acts chapter 2 tells us, they were breaking bread, fellowshipping day and night, Bible studies. Things were exploding in the church. They spoke truth to one another. This is the context of the generosity that we see here in the text. And by generosity, I mean this. They were showing that what the church needs collectively is more important than what I need personally. And going into a missions revival, that to me would be a great, great statement to study, to pray over, to think about, that are the needs of the church collectively more important than what I need personally? How do I reach that conclusion? How do I get generous and really understand why the New Testament experienced such a revival in that early New Testament church? Number two is the word authenticity. We're going to pick that word up in Acts chapter 5. By authenticity, I mean this, that God was showing... God was showing something in that first chapter, that first paragraph. God was showing that honesty and purity of heart and sincerity in each individual in the New Testament is more important than any personal place of comfort or my agenda. And, and so me, me, meditate on that for just a moment because would you not agree? Hey, I would. I'll be the first one without you even raising your hand. I'll just be the guilty party. Hey, it's easy to get really comfortable. In, in the country we live in. It's easy to get comfortable in, in the lives that we have. I mean, we're in a beautiful cafeteria and an air-conditioned... But by the way, in two weeks, we're back in the auditorium. Can I get an amen right there? Yes! I'm so excited. I can't believe it. I do like the cafeteria, and I love the closeness, but I can't wait to get back in there. It just, it's going to be awesome. So anyway, I say all that to say we are comfortable, and sometimes we need to address that comfort with... With something like this mission 's revival, so let 's jump in, shall we number one generosity could we get, could we uh, get attached to this phrase this morning? This is the phrase i 'm going to repeat quite often, and that is this that generosity is experiencing the grace of giving it 's experiencing the grace of giving only when you when you experience the grace of giving, you will be generous. If I could get that to you if there 's one thing. As, as pastor of Gospel Light for 30 years, if there is a key, as I see it, as I've pastored now for 30 years, ups and downs, highs and lows, if there's one thing that I would say that, that, that is most important to understanding revival and, 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 and a church being exactly what God would have it to be, it would be this, that the grace of God flows from a generous heart. And when we understand the grace of giving, listen, without it, without this generous heart, without the grace, nothing really good is going to happen. Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, one gives freely. One gives freely and grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. It's interesting how some people say, hey, why don't I have that? Why don't I have that blessing? Or What is it that I'm missing? Here's what it could be. You're all stopped up. You're all stopped. The flow of God's blessing in our lives comes from experiencing the grace of giving. And the early church had it. And I want you to see it like you've never seen it before. I want you to see it. Look at Acts chapter number 4, beginning at verse 32. And see this with me. This starts, this very little text, this paragraph starts with a summary of what is going on. What's happening in the early church. Check it out. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had all things in common. Let's take just for a moment and, and break that down. The full number of those who believe. It's interesting that the New American Standard Bible says that it was the full congregation of them who believed. Almost as if the church at Jerusalem, speaking about that church. Uh, the New King James Version says the multitude of those who believed. It literally means the fullness of those. In other words, if you remember... Up to this point, there had been 3,000 that had been saved, 5,000 that had been saved. There was a, it was just incredible. I mean, there were so many people that at some point they just said, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of folks that are gathered. Look, when I walked into that football field yesterday, I didn't know how many were there. I just knew this. There's a lot of people here. Yeah, I couldn't tell you how many. They say 1,600. I don't know how many there were there. I can just tell you that there was a lot. I don't know how many people in here. Uh, Brad said, hey, we got a full house today. Not sure how many. But there, there's just, wow, a lot of folks here. The fullness of those who believe. Look what it, what it says about them. They were of one heart and one soul. I love that as well. Here it is now. Don't miss this. We're talking about the early church. What was it that made the early church like it was? They were on the same page. They were on the same page. They had a mission. They were after something. And and then notice in verse number 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But I want to first address this great power. All this great power. You know, this was the Holy Spirit. Great power is a combination of the Holy Spirit and boldness. When you put together the Holy Spirit of God living inside a believer and he becomes bold as a result of what Jesus has done for him and we share the gospel. But listen to this, without the Holy Spirit, boldness is blunt. It becomes bluntness. It can be ugly. In fact, sometimes I think we get in the flesh when we're, uh, as, as believers, without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can offend people and there's nothing good about bluntness. Why well, just tell it like it is. That sounds really brave and bold. But I'll tell you, it's turning people off when we we don't have love. And the Holy Spirit of God, the fruits of the Spirit, our love, we'll be bold with the gospel, but we'll do it with the fruits of the Spirit. Amen. And so we see this great power here. And then it says they were giving their testimony. What is your testimony? Your testimony is what happened to you. How Jesus Christ changed your life. Your testimony is, listen, a seven-year-old. We saw the beautiful McLean sisters share their testimony in my office this week. And then the two young men share their testimony. The two guys from Gethsemane share their testimony. Six different times this week individually, I sat down and I asked the question, tell me about your journey to Jesus. And they shared what I read to you. I, they asked several questions. Sometimes parents kind of input a little bit as we talk to children about exactly how it all uh, worked out. But they shared with me their journey to Jesus and faith in Jesus. That is their testimony, and that's what they were giving. They were giving their testimony about what? About how the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's the good news. That's the good news that Jesus Christ is alive. That's amazing. That is awesome. That is unbelievable. Our God is alive. This is what separates us from every other belief in the world today is that we have a risen Savior. And as they shared their testimony that of the resurrection of Jesus, it says that grace, grace was a great grace was upon them all. In, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, we find out that they had great favor as a church. And I'm convinced that that great grace that was upon them produced great favor with God and with the people. We talked about this not not long ago, if you remember it. We talked about this, and it's on the screen. Grace is what God gives to get us through. Grace is what God gives to get us through. Doctors give prescriptions so we can get well. Employers give checks so we can get current. Teachers give lessons so we can get smart. And God gives grace so we can get through. We need the grace of God. The New Testament has so much to say about this. In fact, we read in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith. Listen, you are saved by grace. Amen. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Praise God. God's saving grace is for all people. Amen. I love that. 2 Corinthians 12.9 But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is always enough. you got to have the grace. Without it, it's it's not a good thing. You need God's grace to get through. 2 Corinthians 6, 1. Together. Working together with Him. Then, we appeal. Get this. Not to receive the grace of God in vain. Here, Scripture teaches that we are to do something with the grace of God. We're not to waste the grace. When we're given the grace of God, use it. Use it. Live in it. Use it. Share it. Ephesians twelve fifteen. 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it causes many to become defiled. Speaking about the hard times that we go through, the difficult times in our marriage, the difficult times in our finances, the difficult times in our church, we need to draw down upon the grace of God to get us through those hard times. And then I love 1 Peter 3, 7, speaking about marriages. Likewise, husbands. Amen. Live with your wives. How do I do that? Do it in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. I mean, listen, I can tell you this from experience that the only way to get through in our marriages and to make it for the long haul is to have the grace. The grace of God in our marriages. We, I need to understand we are heirs together of the grace of God, the goodness of God chapter 4, for certain people have crept in. They've been unnoticed. Too long ago, they were designated for this condemnation. These are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. They actually deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Here, we find in Scripture a warning about folks who are false teachers, and they are turning the grace of God into an occasion for sin. And then 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, verse 23 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And over and over and over and over and over and over again, we see scriptures that teach that there are many times when someone is departing from someone else in the Bible, it's always, hey, grace be with you. The grace of Jesus be with you. Hey, listen, you can't make it without the grace of God. We need God's grace. We need it to get us through. Oh, listen, a sustaining, a nourishing, a feeding, a get-through kind of grace. Nothing happens apart from the grace of God. Without grace, you can't be saved. Without grace, you can't be sanctified. Without grace, you can't be sustained in the trials of life. So how do we get this? How do we get this grace? I mean, if, if, if Scripture says here in verse number 32 or verse 33 that grace, grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. How do I get that? I mean, if this is what they had, if this is what lit the fire in the early church to bring a revival that produced an incredible example to all of us today. If our model is the early church, I want to know more about this great grace that came upon them all. Well, let's talk about that for just a moment, because the context here is giving. It's giving. And you know, oftentimes, we stray away from the context of a passage. It's difficult sometimes to stay right within the context. And I, I, I love to, 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 at times to preach a topical message or a standalone message or And I believe you can do that and enjoy it, and there's truth in that, but let's never get away from the context. And here we see in this passage the context is clearly giving, not just giving, but blow-your-mind giving, immense generosity. So look at the text with me. I'm just going to read it through. You ready? Beginning in verse 32. Don't miss it. Stay with me. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own. They had all things in common. They had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them. And they brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as, had any, as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold the field that belonged to him, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, we're going to come back to that and get the details in a moment, but first I want you to get this. Have you, listen, have you ever experienced in your life the immense grace that flows through the life of giving? Think with me for just a moment. I want to testify. I want to say this if I could this morning, that I consider myself to be a very blessed person. And every time we sing that song about the goodness of God, in the midst of singing that song, I just close my eyes and lift my hands and I think about the blessings of God upon my life. I think about His grace in my life, the the fact that, that, that He saved me. He saved me. It's amazing. I mean, I was a 13-year-old Roman Catholic altar boy, raised in a, in a split family home, raised by a, a, a single mom in New Orleans, Louisiana. She's offered a job in Arkansas. She moves to Arkansas, away from our family. We end up in a Christian school where the gospel is preached, and I get saved and called to pray. I mean, I cannot believe the goodness of God upon my life when it comes to my salvation. I think about how good God's been to me to give me a wife, a wife, a good wife, a faithful wife of, 34 years, Carol Ann, it's been such a blessing to me. I love her so much, and I'm so grateful for my children. All five of them who are in church this morning, and I, I, I'm overwhelmed by the goodness of God. I think this morning about my church family. I mean, just yesterday, just getting to watch our church family serve all over the, the city and driving by these different locations and seeing you in the parking lots or in the parks and, or in the laundromats or the car washes or, or, or the yards or whatever it was and just seeing our people serve together and thinking, man, I'm so thankful for my church. I can't believe, God, you've, you've allowed me to be here 30 years. And then I think about my health. At age 57, I honestly... I often, we didn't video services back then, but I don't know if it'd be any different. I mean, 30 years, I think I, I still am so grateful that I have my health, I can preach with passion and my energy, and I'm not tired. I, I'm just, I look at my health and I think, God, your goodness upon me has been so amazing. Now listen, and don't miss this. Because I know we don't earn God's grace. So, so let's anyone here think, wait, it's insinuating that somehow because of his his good things, the things he's done, well, that he somehow gets these. no, no. I know we don't earn God's grace, but I do believe there's some things we can do to promote God's grace in our life. And I think that's the key that I want you to to see in the passage of Scripture we're about to read. Don't miss this. Can we do some things in our life to promote God's grace? Well, look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Let's start here. This is important. Please don't miss this. The passage says this. Here's the point. And here's my point this morning. This is the point of the message. That whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Time out. Get that. Get that this morning. The context is giving again. Listen, when the offering plate passed you by a moment ago, and I realize there's many ways that we give, and there's not a whole lot of folks, I don't know what the percentage is that still actually give in the offering plate, but it's more than just actually putting something into play. It's symbolic about what we are doing. It's, a, it's an act that each of us are participating in at different times, different ways. But when that offering plate came down that row, it was one of the most important decisions that you made as a believer this week. One of the most important decisions. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully if you give wait a minute pastor are you saying if i give money god's going to give money back to me i didn't say that i will say this though if you give god will give back to you that's the truth i mean sometimes it is financially but other times it's it it just shows up in our in our answered prayer or maybe in our health or in our finances or, or something else he will give back to you i'm here to tell you and shout it from the rooftop you cannot outgive god amen You can't outgive God. The point is this. Here's the point. Whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully, will reap bountifully. God longs to bless you. God longs to prosper us. We read in the Old Testament, "Uh, listen, bring the full tithe to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. Test me in this. If I'll not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour you out a blessing, that you would not be able to contain it. Look at verse number 7. It just continues. Each one must give. Give as he's decided in his own heart. Not reluctantly. If you don't want to give, then don't give. God is not looking for anything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The truth is we are the ones who get the privilege of participation. We get to be a part. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves when people get it. Just when people get it. I can't wait to give. I I can't wait for the offering. time. I can't wait for the opportunity to serve in one day. Because I know God is going to flood my life with grace. And that's what I need to get through. (laughs) Notice here's the summary verse, that God is able to make all grace. I wonder wonder how much all grace is. (laughs) That's a lot of grace. That's whatever you need, whenever you need it, wherever you are in life. God is able. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. I like that word all. God's not leaving anything out. God wants to make sure you understand that God is able to do this. He's able to make all grace abound in all things, all sufficient, all time. You may abound in every good work. God can do that. Have you experienced that? I cannot commend this lesson to you more this morning that whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Church, God can give you enough So that you have more than you need. So that you have an abundance for others who have need. Think about that. God can give you enough. So that you have more than you need. So that you can have an abundance of resources, of time, of whatever it is. To give to others who have need. This is what was happening in the New Testament church. And God can do that now. This is the same God. The same God of the early church is the God of gospel light. He can do it again. And you can experience the grace of giving that comes through immense generosity. What did Jesus say about this? We read it during our worship time. He said it twice in Matthew 6, 21 and Luke 12, 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What is treasure? Treasure is whatever matters to you most. Jordan had it right. It's whatever matters to you most. What matters to you most? What matters to you most? Your cars, your things, your house, your vacation, scuba diving, your hobbies. Because what matters to you most? Hey, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Your affection's going to be. So think with just a Identify what is it that is, matters most to you. That's where your treasure is. I want to stop here and say this. Not perfectly. Please hear me out. Not perfectly. I need to say that about four times or more. Not perfectly. But I want to say this morning. Not perfectly. But my treasure, I think my wife and I, after 30 years, our treasure is the work of the Lord. Not perfectly. And I love this place. I love this church. Every decision I make has to do with the work of the Lord, the people of the Lord, the glory of the Lord. I mean, listen, this is my life. This is, this is where I, 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 I've pledged to give myself to every decision I make, whatever it is, inside the church, outside of the community. It's all about building the kingdom of God, investing in the church, growing the church, living for the church. This is who I am. This is what I want to live my life, but not perfectly, but I want you to know this, my friends, this, my family, is most important. Hey, do we have a generous heart? For the work of the Lord. And I'm burdened about this. As our missions revival comes. I feel as if we can get so complacent in a year. And we can watch our giving begin to decline. And our missions giving begin to decline. And it's almost as if we do get comfortable. And and we do have an agenda. And we do get involved in other things. And we do let what's happening in our world today. Kind of affect our our affection towards the church. And I see that as something that. That a senior pastor a lead pastor. Needs to preach a pastoral message. And simply say to all of us. Hey church. Are we living like the New Test, early New Testament church when it comes to this idea of generosity? Have you experienced the grace of giving? Back to chapter 4. Let's look at this model. What did they do right? Well, first of all, what I see in the text is this. They understood this. Number one, nothing owns me. Nothing owns me. You have to get to that place in your life that nothing owns you, only Jesus. Only God. He he is the only one worthy of owning us, of owning our heart's desire. It belongs to him who owns me. They understood nothing owns me. Look at the end of verse number 32. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. No one said it. Everything that I have doesn't belong to me. No one said that's my stuff. No one said that's my car. No one said that's my house. No one said that's, that's my stuff. Technically, technically, my truck is mine. Technically. I mean, on paper, the title does say my name. Technically, it's mine. But literally, it's God's. It's God's. My house is not my own. It's not. You say, well, yeah, you own your yeah. Well, it's God's house. This week, my wife, was, uh, I got home, and she was vacuuming. And she said, honey, we got the shark. Anybody got a shark? Anybody like me got a shark? You got a shark? Anybody got a shark? Yeah, they're pretty cool. They, they, when you vacuum, you like see the muck in the mire. It's kind of gross. And it comes out in this little cylinder, right? And it, so she said, I'm on my fourth cylinder of, of dirt. And, and she said, honey, this is just one week. And I said, honey, what do you expect? We had the new member connection, we had the lighthouse meeting. We had the college kids over. We had the Christian school kids over for the progressive dinner. Well, I mean, honey, we, we've had five or six massive, I mean, probably had 200 people in the house. That 200 people four-cylinder fulls of drunk. And we laughed like we just did. It ain't our house anyway. It's yours. It belongs to God. It belongs to the Lord. Somebody asked me the other day, can I use your truck to move? I said, yeah, here's the keys. I said, "Now, I mean, I didn't give it to, like, you know, Millie. I <laughs> mean... You got to give it to somebody that can drive this kid, Millie. All right. You got to be careful. You got to be a good steward, right? What's your driving record? Anyway, I gave him my key. He said, Yeah, use it. Whatever you need. It's not my truck. It's not my house. It's not my stuff. Hey, listen, we need to get to the place where nothing owns us. We're not holding on to the things of this world in a way that. It's just selfish, and, and we tend to have our treasure then set up in these things that are on earth that are going to vanish and fade and number two, they did this right. They understood needs must be met. What I have belongs to God, and where there's needs there's going they're going to be met. See the need, take the lead. Look at Acts 4:34There was not a needy person among them. Now that's an incredible assertion. I mean really? I, I don't want to go there this morning in this building. I really don't. I mean, I, I, I'm convicted by that. In the early church, the, the statement was there was not a needy person among them. Understand the context here. Remember, Jesus had ascended, right? Acts chapter 1, he ascended. Remember that? And he, they, they, he said, listen, I want you to hang out in the upper room. Of course, they were really they were taken back by this. Oh, no, what are we going to do? No, it's going to be fine, guys. Go to the upper room. Wait there. Just Hang tight. Holy Spirit's going to come. It's going to be phenomenal. Uh, you know, you're going to do greater works than, than, than I did. And, and so the Holy Spirit comes. Crazy things happen. Tongues of fire over their heads. It's nuts. They leave. They go out. They preach the gospel. I mean, they're bold as a lion. They're giving their lives for the gospel. Uh, they've got the Holy Spirit's power within them. That's boldness and grace coming together through the Holy Spirit. 3,000 get saved, 5,000 get saved. Call the day of Pentecost. It's amazing. And all of a sudden, that great Jewish festival that took place where thousands of people came from all the Mediterranean, or Mediterranean areas came to ascended upon this one place. God's timing is always perfect, right? Holy Spirit comes, and the people come, and that, that means many, many converts. So can you imagine yesterday, if we'd have had not 102 professions of faith, but let's just say we had 3,000 at one day. And I came this morning and said, well, folks, so I thought we were going to have six baptisms. We got 200 baptisms. Uh, 200. So i tell you what we're going to do. I mean, we did to change plans. Oh, by the way, we need 200 Bibles this morning. So I don't know how, we're, we don't have the money, the budget. I need, and oh, and we need discipleship material uh, because these 200 the folks need to grow. Oh, uh, by the way, we need to start more small groups because we don't have enough space in the houses. So we, could we start 20 new small groups tomorrow, uh, this week? If, if it, who could start? A, can you imagine this morning if the service would have been like that? Not six, 200 baptisms. I mean, listen, Pentecost comes over hot hospital, and people, that's what they were facing. The context was, wow, revival comes. This is amazing. We're calling this a missions revival. There are going to be needs that have to be met. Look at verse 34. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Oh, wow. What generosity on the part of the people living in Jerusalem to meet the needs of new believers from all around the world. This is incredible, church. This could have been what this morning service was like. It could have been that way. That kind of generosity still happens, though. We're here today as a result of an offering we took about 15 years ago, 17 years ago, when we needed to raise some money to purchase these buildings. I remember when we took the offering up, our treasurer called me and says, what do we do with the diamond rings in the offering plate? I'm like, what? Well, call them and tell them they drop their ring in the offering plate and they give it back. He said, no, it's like in an envelope and it says, sell this for the offering. What do we do, pastor, with, with, with people that are, that are putting their houses up or lands up for sale? And, and not houses per se, but we had some folks sell land and bring a portion of that offering. to the. I mean, it was, we had to raise $750,000 just to be able to borrow the money to buy these buildings in the first place. This kind of generosity is happening in different places around the world. And most churches have had experiences like this if they've really seen God move. There's been moments like this in the church. Notice it says here that they brought the proceeds, which means it wasn't coerced. It wasn't forced. The people wanted to do it. You can't make people be generous. You can't make them. They brought the proceeds Themselves, this might be a good time, Jerry. I know I'm messing you up here, but if you could go to the last screen, I, just, I think I feel led right now to just show you some of the needs that we have for the missions revival. I just showed it to you right now, just so you'll see, so you'll know th- two to three weeks in advance. Number one, do you see it at the end? Yeah, funds for our missions pastor Scott to go to the Dominican Republic because we just got back a few months ago, and I'll be honest with you, church, we, we brought sewing machines, we bought. You know, uh, musical instruments. We we brought uh, artwork. We we brought we brought and left a lot of things there. And so, guess what's happening? They're having revival. They're using these things to reach people. Scott, they've asked Scott, would you please come? Would you please come? We need help. We can't figure out how to do all this. We need somebody to guide us. And so, we said, Scott, get out get out there. Help them. We got We got to help them. So, we could use some funds to help get Scott there. We don't need much, just enough to get him there. That's one need. Next, a financial gift for the church planner who's coming to our missions revival from Georgia. His name's Justin Talbert. I'll tell you the quick story. Nine months ago, I get a phone call from Lee Bechtel's dad. Lee's a graduate of Champion Christian College. His dad's name is Tim Bechtel. They call me. They say, listen, we got 10 people left. Our church is about to go under. We're either going to sell the property or we're going to just close the doors or, or, or I call you, pastor, and see if you know of anybody. Can you help us? So I say, listen, I can help you. Let me, let me drive down there. So I, I left the pulpit. I don't know if, how many of you remember this. I didn't preach that Sunday. I drove 11 hours to, you know, southern Georgia. And, and I met with this church of 10 people. And I called a friend from Florida who I'd been mentoring. And he came to the church and met me there. We stayed in a hotel together. I went to the church and preached that Sunday morning. And it said something like this. Well, church, I came a long way. I don't want to tiptoe around the tulip. I said, you got 10 people left. I said, you call this young man to be your pastor. You're going to have... 30 in about a month guess who gets voted down you it's 20 to 10 if you want to get stay stuck in your ways if you're happy the way things have been going then you need to tell me right now to walk out the church and go back to hot springs and it'd be nice meeting you but if you want things to change if you want revival to take place you need to get somebody in here that wants to see it and pretty soon your agenda is going to go down the toilet because we're going to be able to outvote you or you can just vote with us and we can see people say they started crying i started crying they called him to be their pastor Last Sunday, they had 93 in attendance. Amen. He'll be here in two weeks. Yeah. He'll be here. He'll be here in two weeks just to testify. Jake, he needs a new roof. I got to talk to you about that. Okay. <laughs> this one's for you. Hey, he. <laughs> I've already talked to Jake about it. But, hey, there's needs at this church. And, and I don't know what, what, what he's going to need when he gets here. It may just be, it may not be as big as I think. Love offering for our guest speaker, Dr. David Allen, that's, that's, a, that's a need. Our missions giving has been down, so we, we don't have the money in the, in the surplus. We did last year, but we've given so much less this year than last year. And so I, I wanted to put this before you. Funds for all of the miscellaneous items for the missions revival. Just miss, it's not much, little things. And then number five, potential support for the school project in the Dominican Republic. Pastor Scott will give the details when he returns from his trip to the Dominican Republic. These are just a few things. I told Scott, Scott, email me some stuff while he's preaching out of town. I said, email me some needs. I said, I want to share with the church. I, I don't I want him to leave with some tangible ideas of things that maybe we could do. Give a few dollars here and there in the missions revival to support some of these needs so we can be a part of, of a church that has a generous heart towards what God is doing in our world today. You cannot give God, amen? It's not possible. Look, if you would, please, nothing owns me. Needs must be met. Let's move forward and I've got to finish. Number three, they did this well. Leaders must be trusted. That's not easy, is it? It's not easy. Leaders must be trusted. Barnabas, it says in verse 35, he laid it at the apostles' feet. What happens is, and I get it, I get it, especially, you know, the, 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 the more we experience the imperfections of church, we, our excuse becomes, you know what? I'm just not sure what they're going to do with it, so I'm not going to give it. Or if I give it, I'm only going to give it if I know exactly where it's going. I'm going to tell them where it's going. So what we're saying really is I don't really trust the leadership. I don't really think they know where it's trust, And that happens, and I get it. I understand that. But here in the New Testament, there's a lesson here to be learned. They did this right. They trusted they're leaders. They must be trusted. And so Barnabas laid it at the apostles' feet. Look at verse 36. And Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native. of. By the way, this is the first time in Scripture Barnabas is mentioned. Now, he's mentioned a lot in the book of Acts. But the first time he's mentioned is he was a giver. He was a giver before he was a leader. I don't understand how people think they should be able to lead and not be generous givers. I don't get it. But here we have an example of someone that was. He sold the field that belonged to him and bought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, to do that, that requires two things. Number one, it requires humility. It does. I mean, you have to be able to say, you know what? Here's my, here's my gift. Y'all can do a better job than I can do of knowing where this goes. And I trust you guys. Here's my gift. Here, here, here's my offering. And I know you guys have a heartbeat more for it. You understand it. You're looking at it every day. I get it. I I trust you. That takes humility. And then secondly, it takes submission. They were trusting. You have to be able to trust your leaders. That's not an easy decision to come to. Not every church has been perfect. In fact, this morning I had the benefit of having uh, another pastor here from another church in Viola, Arkansas. And it's a 100-year-old church. And he's, one of, he's a young pastor, so he's, you know, he's taking this church 100 years old and trying to make some changes himself. And we've been talking. That may be one reason why I came at 25 with him this morning in the first service. And he said, uh, he said yeah, he said, it's tough sometimes because there's been, you know, over the years, there's been, there's been things that have happened. And we know people are imperfect. But if we don't have trust, we don't have anything. I can tell you this, Carolyn and I don't have a perfect marriage, but honey, if we don't have trust, we don't have anything. We've got to trust one another. And because of that, I believe this, that I would not belong to a church that was not, I have belonged to a church. In fact, I was a member of this church before this was true. But I would no longer be a member of a church that wasn't either elder-led or trustees-led or if an old model of Pastors and deacons, I, I, I don't agree with that mindset as I've studied the scriptures. I think deacons have a different role, but I do believe that the multiplicity of leaders is necessary for the church to operate purely in its finances. So now we have a, an elder-led church that talks about the expenditures, and we have a financial pastor named Jeff Manthe who meets with an elder quarterly, and I apologize this morning if you were here, I said monthly this morning, and Jeff corrected me, it's quarterly, which is fine. And they meet quarterly, and Tony looks over the finances. Tony owns a business, very successful, and he looks it over, asks Jeff a bunch of questions. They look over the finances. I like that. And by the way, today I would not join a church if I went to join. And he said, yeah, buck stops here. I'll make every decision. I have no accountability. I'd say, well, I'm going to find me another church that has accountability. I believe that's biblical. I I would not give to a church that wasn't elderly. I would not give to a church that didn't give to missions. I wouldn't do it. I'd want to know, do you have a heartbeat for missions? What are you guys doing for missions? I mean, if a church can throw five missionary requests on the screen on a Sunday morning, you might be in a good church. If they're talking about missions, if they're talking about, hey, I would not be a part of a church. I would not give to a church that didn't help the poor. It should bless you that 170 homeless people were on this property yesterday. You, you should be fired up about that. You should be blessed about it. You should say, you know what? Here's a church. Got missions. Got homeless folks on the property. man. Pastor says he's not the big shot. I'm just one of seven guys that uh, we believe in a plurality of leadership here. We haven't always, but we've learned and we've grown and we've learned from our mistakes. In order for a church to be truly a church that is going to be a generous church, a, a church that grace flows from, we've got to do some things right. Nothing owns me. Needs must be met. Leaders must be trusted. And great grace was upon them all. Now, let me conclude the message by touching on the word authenticity, and then I'm done. Authenticity. So generosity was the first word, right? Now authenticity. God is about to make a huge statement about the importance of authenticity in Acts chapter 5. I've never, I, in all my years of being a Christian, this is one passage of Scripture that I've always read and thought, whew, that's kind of harsh. This is a tough one. But we've got to be able to trust one another. And God deals harshly with deception. Please understand. Let's look at chapter 5. These folks' names were Ananias and Sapphira. Anybody ever heard of those two names in the Bible? Ananias and Sapphira, kind of strange names? Yes. So you got these two folks in the Bible. And the Bible tells us a story about a sin that they committed. And I want you to see the sin for what it was. So in order for us to see what the sin was, I want you to see what the sin was not. Okay? So look at Acts chapter 5, beginning verse 1. But a man named Ananias, who's with his wife Sapphira... And he sold a piece of property. Okay, pretty good. So the sin was not ownership. Because who else owned a piece of property? Barnabas. Barnabas owned a piece of property. Ananias and Sapphira owned a piece of property. The sin was not ownership. Listen, their sin was not ownership. because See, some people think that we're just supposed to give it all. They've been in churches that have have had these give-it-all Sundays, you know. And it's almost as if, you know, there's no understanding. There's a skewed understanding of what stewardship is. Biblical, the Bible requires us to be good stewards of what we have. And sometimes being a good steward of what we have is not to sell what we have, but to keep what we have, invest what we have, so we can give more later. We find that truth in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents, where the man has five talents and he he keeps them, he invests them. And what does he have not long after that? He has ten. He's able to do more because he invested. Yes, he gave, but he didn't give at all. He kept back some so he could invest it, so he could give more. And I think stewardship involves giving, but it also involves giving increasingly. And, and, and so I, I'm always challenging, my wife and I, about increasing our giving every week as we've been good stewards of what? Or every week, every year, excuse me. And so we've done that now for 30 years at Gospel Light, we've increased in our missions giving. Every single year, trusting God that we can give more because we've been a steward of what he's given us. So the sin was not ownership. And their sin was not partial ownership. Look at Acts 5-2. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. And he brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But that was not the sin. The sin was not in that they didn't give it all. He he, he could have used the other part, invested it. We talked about that. He could have given more later. He could have been wise with his giving. Sin was not ownership. The sin was not partial ownership. Look at verse 3. I'm almost done. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, Did it not remain your own? I mean, it was yours. You you could could have done whatever you wanted with it. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? But after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You, You could have done whatever you wanted with it after you sold it. You could have given 10, 20, 50. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? contrived the, the rationalizations I've heard in 30 years of pastoring as to why people don't give. Well, you know, Pastor, I'll give later. It's not in a place really I can give right now. i got a lot of bills, got a lot of things I'm doing. Later down the line, maybe, just not right now. Well, Pastor, we give. You know, I give cash in the plate every now and then. Well, Pastor, you know, we, we give. We just give in other ways, you know. We only want God to know. I've heard so many rationalizations Why have you conceived this, contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man. You've lied to God. Therein is the problem. Number three, their sin was not ownership. Their sin was not partial ownership. Their sin was not lying to man. Their sin was lying to God. And that's the way God sees it. That's the way God sees it. When you hold back that which is God's, you're not lying to the pastors. You're not lying to to your family. You're not lying to me. You're lying to yourself, and you're lying to God. If you're not faithful to what the Scriptures teach about giving, listen, let me read for you the rest of the passage. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. In other words, he died. Now, that's harsh. I get it. I've often read that thought. Lord, that's that's intense, but there's a biblical precedent for this. We see this all throughout the scriptures. God takes sin very seriously. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you can even read at the Lord's Supper. The Bible talked about those that sleep and even died as a result of not taking the Lord's Supper in the proper way. So there's precedent for this here. The idea is that sin is not a small deal. And we're going to have to get honest and we're going to have to be real and authentic about where we're at in this area of giving. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife comes in. She she didn't know what happened. I'm thinking surely someone would have told her. But maybe they were thinking, move away from the vehicle. You know. Peter says, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, for so much. Peter says, how is it you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? I've heard people say, you know, it's not a big deal. God won't do anything about that. Could I suggest this? Be careful about God won't do anything about that. Be careful. The feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out immediately she fell down at his feet breathed her last. And When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. What was the real problem? The real problem was twice in the text. Look at it on the screen. Twice in the text. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Verse 5, when Ananias heard these things, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear fell upon the whole church Here was the problem. They did not fear God. The fear of God is a sense that I need to do what's right or there's going to be a problem. I can't afford to play games with God. This is extremely important. The fear of God, Scripture says, is the beginning of wisdom. You have to have a sense of I need to do what God says or I'm going to suffer the consequences in my health, in my family, in my finances. We need to have a sense of the fear of God. Psalm chapter 34 and verse number 9 says, Oh, fear the Lord, saints! Fear God! And those who fear Him will not lack. The early church was a church of generosity. The early church was a A church of authenticity. And I believe these two things are desperately needed gospel light, If we are going to be the church that God has called us to be. And so I say this as we enter this month. And I'm sure the messages are going to get lighter. And and this is a senior pastor message. I get it. And I, I feel like this is what God wanted me to share. Not because we're not generous. Not because we're not givers. But because I know That in order for us to experience the grace, the grace of God, we must understand it flows through a generous heart. Are you generous this morning? Are you real this morning? Are you authentic about where you're at in your giving? Are you willing to be honest with God, not lie to God? Are you willing to just come clean with this thing and say, look, I need to get some things straight. I need to look at my finances closer or I need to look at my time closer. It's not just, follow- I need to look at my, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing as far as service. Clo- I, I want to give more of myself to Christ. I don't own me. I belong to God. My things are God's. I, I've been somewhat selfish about some things. I've held back. As we consider these things this morning, I really believe we are opening up our church to real revival. I know I said a lot this morning and it may be something that you want to go back and listen to again or talk about this week with your family. But church, I'm believing in two weeks we're not just going to have a missions conference. We're going to have a missions revival. And by faith, I'm trusting that somebody may even be surrendered, surrendered to the mission field. I don't know. It doesn't happen very often anymore. Maybe by faith someone would surrender their lives or surrender a piece of property or surrender some of their savings to, you know, Some of their abundance to bless someone who comes next week. I I don't know what that looks like. I I don't know what it looks like for you and I, honey. Maybe it's us. Maybe it's us. Maybe it's you and I that need to look at things and say, what can we do? I think it's all of us. Because they had all things in common. I don't think it was just like, you know, okay, A through C. Okay, now it's D through F. I think it's A through Z. It's everybody. If we could get on the same page with this, there was not a needy person among them. Wow, what a difference we can make. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. As we close our eyes and bow our heads and conclude with the worship invitation, I'm going to believe God this morning. If there's someone here today that heard the gospel as we shared the testimonies of those who followed Christ in believers' baptism, and you would say, that's me, that's me. That's me. I need to be saved this morning. I need to follow Christ. And I want to encourage you to come forward in just a moment. Or meet me in the back after the service. Whichever you're comfortable with. And share with me what God is doing or what God has done to bring you to that place of decision about your need of of, of Jesus, of, of of his sacrificial atonement for your sins. If you're interested in knowing more about that or you've made that decision, I'd love... I'd love to know about that before you leave. And if you're here today and the Lord has just spoke to your heart, if you need someone to pray with you, I'll be up front. And if you just want to stand and worship or sit and pray for a while, whatever you're led to do. But whatever we do, let's all, as we conclude this service, let's all worship the one who is worthy of our generosity. The one who has taught us the greatest example of of giving. Thank God he gave all. He didn't hold back. And so you and I are the recipients of the great grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you so much for what you're doing and what you've done this weekend in Hot Springs. Father, as we sing about your son, Jesus, may our hearts once again be overwhelmed with the grace of God in our lives. And Father, may we, through that, begin to understand the importance of generosity. In all areas of our lives. God may we learn today. From this incredible testimony. Of the early church. As they experience the great grace. Of God upon their congregation. And may we examine Lord. How they experienced that. How it happened. The details. Thank you for clearly, clearly spelling it all out for us Father. Help us to follow. In that example. I love you Jesus. I love these people. And I thank you for the privilege it is to serve together. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?